Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello, everybody. My name is Neil White. I'm from Backpage. You're listening to the big interview with Graham Hunter at the Euros for the very final time. This is the second of two parts of our tournament closing Q&A show. I really hope that you've been listening with us all throughout this fantastic summer of football. Uh, we've been taking questions from our socios, those listeners who support our podcast at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter to find out more about that. Go there. And we're going to come straight back into it with socio Tom Lee, who asks a question about refereeing and discipline in the tournament that I think we can also use to start to look forward to sort of life after Euro 2020. Tom says perhaps the most depressing aspect of a mainly explosively brilliant tournament has been the elements of feigning injury, pleading to referees, diving. He puts forward examples such as Kane and Sterling, two of the sort of best slash worst divers in the sport. Um, Immobile's famous sort of bit of play acting versus Belgium when he pops up after they score the goal became a bit of an internet sensation. Why don't commentators have the cojones to condemn this live on air? Refereeing has been top notch generally, but a few bookings or even reds for these offences would be very welcome to me. And I wonder if we could also include guys in Tom's question, a kind of assessment of the refereeing in general, because my sense was that there's almost a consensus that we maybe saw a turning point in refereeing in general uh, in this tournament. Yeah, um, by turning point, you mean that it was it was slightly more lenient than than perhaps we've just so. Yeah, you can't have it always, can you? And I and I, if I've got to choose between the the leniency that we saw um, and greater punishment for people kicking hell out of. Um, Pedri and uh, De Bruyne, then I probably would go with the leniency just to allow the games to flow. And and I thought it was um, it was a major reason why it was such a fantastic tournament that it wasn't ruined by referees. Um, but um, Pedri did take a kicking. In terms of uh, commentators calling out uh, divers and failures, you do have to be careful. I, mean, I think I've done a couple of times before in commentary that a player, you know, is is clearly playing for time. And in fact, I thought uh, Chiesa was doing it in the final, and then of course he hobbles off and he doesn't play any more part. So you do have to be careful, uh, and you know there has to be a kind of underlying respect um, for a player if he's down. The, the possibility that he's not time wasted, even though it appears that he's not injured. Punishments to stop it happening. I think the greatest punishment is to just be called out and post-match punditry can do that more easily than an in-game, than a commentator while the incident's taking place and there's just the shame that should then come from that. We're now with social media, someone feigns injury and you know, I mean, it goes all around the world um, 100, times, 100 times over. 
So, and you, you'd hope that that then stops players doing it. I'm not sure that it will do, but um, I thought the refereeing in general was great. And I thought VAR took a back seat, especially in the semi-final when Sterling went down. Um, and um, I've got very few complaints over, over the refereeing. It, it, didn't ruin the, it didn't ruin the football, which is the first thing that you want from, from refereeing. Tom knows me as a, a pint and a half full uh, man rather than pint and a half empty. And I, I would say that I want to celebrate the tournament. It's the best refereeing display in any tournament that I can remember. I mark referees quite regularly, um, week in, week out, domestically and uh, in the Champions League. And many of the best were there. Many of the best had their best games. I thought the couple of standouts, and I've got a lot of sympathy for the refereeing team was it the referee operating the Claude McAlelly position I think it was Danny McKelly I might be wrong apologies if I am Tom when that incident takes place at that speed and and either what we don't know is did they choose not to go to look at the screen or were they told don't look at it it's definitely a penalty we, we can't know that with certainty Pete spoke to you there as somebody who has to commentate it's very high wire, and I know I couldn't do it. I know I'd be incapable of doing it, or certainly doing it well. And the safest place to be is co-commentary, or the, the, the next safest place is commentary. The safest place of all is, is to be in the studio post-analysing. But when you're out there and, and you're, you're calling a match, it's extraordinarily difficult. It's not as the same as calling it in your head when you're on the couch or you're in the pub or you're with mates, it, it, it isn't because you you leave an indelible mark with the not just the words you've chosen but the decisions you've made with the tone that you set and, and it really sticks with when I make a mistake, when I call something as a co-commentator, it lives with me for weeks and it drives me just crazy. Broadly, I don't think we live in an era of, of wild cheating. There are things that the cameras are showing us now because the camera coverage of matches is so extraordinary that we're seeing a lot of things you can't say always went on because certainly I'm the oldest of the three of us and I'm older than you, Tom, I know that. But Pete and Neil and I have got broadly similar memories and experiences. And there were times when, you know, one of your own players would have run over and kicked you in the chest if you'd started acting around like that. But those times are gone and... I, I, Tom, I'd like to contrast again with something that I find far more distasteful. Leo Messi went and won his his senior tournament for Argentina after only having won in the World Cup at junior level and a gold medal at the Olympics, you know, the, the shirker. But Tom, if you watch that game, you know, Argentina won that game by kicking the shit out of Neymar and, and not letting him breathe at every... It, 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 it reminded you of the 80s and 70s even more, whereby when the skillful player gets on it, there's a knee in on his, there's a thigh in on his thigh, or there's a push in the back, or there's a trip, or there's a hold, and, and it was staccato football. And Argentina won, and well done, and the goal via which they won was absolutely beautiful. But if you go and look at that match, it's, it's horrible. And football used to be like that, and it isn't now. And, and Pete and Neil both talked about the, the, the fluency of games. And if you have a, a fluid game an advantage played occasionally you will find players who are like I know I can take advantage of this this is a moment an instant where I can take advantage and referees are being referees are not the offenders they're the ones who are being offended against and largely in this tournament they did an exceptional job and there are so few incidents in this tournament from from my taste Sterling's not a penalty but it's it's one of those where the referee and the assistants and the VAR people probably didn't help get justice but it's not a scandal. 
the, the, the slight scandal for me is Paulinho in in the Portugal Belgium game, where you know he's he's pulled at whoever's jersey it was that was running away from him. Um, I think maybe De Bruyne and and committed thereafter the foul on De Bruyne that's ruined his tournament. It's a bad foul. It's a red card foul. Even if it's a yellow card, had he been. Breich, Felix Breich, the German, doesn't call it back. He lets advantage go, which I think we all approve of. And at that instance, when you get a round of, oh, jolly well played, um, which may not be what Felix Breich is after, is when you then book the, the assailant afterwards when the play is stopped. And he didn't. And that would have been Paulinho sent off and it would have been Belgium, the better side through, who were kicked about in that game. They'd have been through with less damage done to them because De Bruyne was ruined. Hazard had to run himself into the ground and was kicked about. And, and that was a big mistake in, in my book. And people might rail against the, the, the Sterling moment, but I want to close now. Maybe one of us, for in, in episode one of this Q&A, we were asked um, to un, under, under the radar performance. Maybe, maybe one of us should have just picked, um, instead of Eric Garcia and um, Johnny Dumfries' younger brother, Denzel, um, we should have picked the referees. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. We're back with our gaze firmly fixed on the future. Let's start with a question from socio Gustavo Bagatini, who first of all seems to take a slight dig at my Spanish pronunciation over the months. <laughs> Fair play, Gustavo, to be honest. Um, and listen, Gustavo, on a more serious point, Gustavo and literally every single one of the socios who sent in questions, all prefaced with similar uh, points of view that I've kind of chopped out when I've been putting these questions to you guys because if it included them it would have been incredibly repetitious and that is to say thank you and congratulations back basically to you Graham for the for the job that you've done kind of on a daily basis with a few exceptions over the course of the summer you don't do well with this sort of thing so I'm not asking you to respond I'm really speaking to the socios to say thank you for those compliments and each one has been noted if not articulated on this episode Moving swiftly on to Gustavo's um, point, judging by the performance of the younger players, he looks at 26 as a cutoff, which nation has the best platform for future tournament success? Now, given that, that Qatar is so soon on the horizon, squads may not change that much between now and then, but I think Gustavo means who's setting up for a, a, a more of a... A legacy success. He asks directly between England or Spain or someone else. For reference, he mentions Bellingham, Calvert-Lewin, Chilwell, Foden, Grealish, James, Mount, Phillips, Ramsdale, Rashford, Rice, Saka, Sancho, Shaw, Sterling versus Fabian Garcia, Gaia, Llorente, Omo, 
Oh yes, that, uh, I've played right into your hands, Gustavo. <laughs> Pedri, Rodri, Sanchez, Simon, Torres, Torres, and Traore. So, guys, I mean, you can focus on England and Spain and their sort of young squads aiming at the future. They were both in the top five when it came to um, youngest squads. Um, I mean, do you, do you see these two teams as kind of building a platform for future success? I'm going to take the Paul Revere position in this one, Peter, and I just jumped in because... Paul Revere made himself famous by rescuing the US men's team in the 1800s by shouting, the British are coming, the British are coming. You know that if you can bottle up all the beautiful things that happen and and have traditionally happened in English footballers who reach the elite and add tournament management, experience, knowledge of how to play away from home and handle it, not just in qualifying, but in tournaments, how to manage the ball, how to, to be able to live together in a hotel for six, seven weeks if you want to win a tournament. We've always said if, if those things are blended and that cocktail laboratory that is called the Premier League now and the Premier League's academies. So, for example, Pep Guardiola is one of the most strident about it, but it's a, it's a pretty loud voice. Academy football teams don't get um, put into situations that are that are really breaking the blisters of the of the young kids in terms of, you know, is it an abusive atmosphere from the stands? <laughs> Can you handle that? Is the level of competitive aggression from the other team good enough to really test you? Does it prepare you for the absolute tornado life in, in the Premier League? Well, maybe not. But what those managers are, are, are missing is that it's, it's not a glass wholly empty. The, the, the way in which the academies work right now and the way in which the academy teams are trained and the quality of the coaching, the quality of the technical coaching, the quality of the lifestyle messages that are given to the players and the way in which England are competitive at under-21 level but at under-17 and under-19 won the World Cup and continuously now threatened to add a raft of, of junior tournaments which just literally imbue you with the know-how I'd like Gustavo the answer to be Spain. Um, I think Gustavo lists all the various players. And, and, and while, if you look at England's list that you put in there, Gustavo, it's very uh, persuasive that, that maybe it should be them. My faith is that Spain are already at that position that, that, that England are looking for, whereby for whatever reason, whether it's club training, whether it's the training they get at Las Rosas when they can still go there age 15 and they're just blooded in the way of how to work fluently in terms of systems they can change within games, it's devolved intelligence, they get to like each other before they're divided by club loyalties. That means that, that maybe Gustavo Spain have still got the edge, in my opinion. But if you look at that list of talent and the list of talents that's coming behind them for England, but also the way in which the system is now set up and the, and the massive DNA mixing of fitness coaches who, who are continental and therefore bring sometimes new, sometimes better thinking, coaches, directors of football. But it's a much more diverse, much more modern, much more threatening setup in England now to suggest that their senior international team should be, over the next 15, 16 years, should be a dominant force. If Gustavo's um, selling a Spain-England final in Qatar, then yeah, I'll buy that on the, on the basis, of, uh, basis of what we've seen. I think England, because of everything that Graham's just talked about and everything that's taken place in terms of coaching, in terms of youth coaching, in terms of grassroots for the last however many years, 
England now has a generation of players that is quite different to, to previous generations, but they're going to have to play to suit that generation. You know, it's no good now having Felden, Grealish and Mount if you've got a coach who, who, who doesn't have the faith to put all three of them on the pitch at the same time. Um, so they have to now go with that particular flow. If England have moved away from being a football nation that produces, you know, great towering centre halves and 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 bulldozer, you know, number nines, and and we're now something else, then we can't keep playing the old football that that we played before that played in played into a different set of strengths. There was a moment in the England Italy game, um, and I haven't watched the game back in full, so maybe I've just imagined this, but I'm sure this happened. It was, I think, it was the end of normal time. Italy looked like they might score um, and um, Carl Walker does brilliantly. He puts out the fire in the six-yard box. I think he chests, chests the ball back to, to Jordan Pitchfork. And Jordan, and if people haven't listened to the first episode, that's a reference to what everyone in Spain was calling him during commentary. Jordan, Jordan Pickford then launches the ball down the pitch, a long kick, and it goes straight to Donnarumma. And Italy got the ball back again. And Italy come right back at England. Now, that's been a little bit harsh to Jordan who, Jordan Pickford, who at times does try to play out from the back. But it's an example. It's a throwback to, to what we've always done in the past. And what I'm trying to say is you've got to go the whole hog. You know, you, 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 if, we've, if we produce this, this type of new player that we've never had before, you know, the Mounts and the Foddens and the Grealishes, Grealish is not the new Gaza, and Mounts not, they're not the new Waddle. Uh, I wish they were, um, but I'm, I'm just, just stuck in the 1990 World Cup permanently. Um, but um, they are a type of player that we certainly didn't mass-produce before, and now we, we've got a lot of that type of player, but you have to play the sort of football that suits that. And and if and if Southgate can't do that, then then maybe someone else will step forward who can. But that's what's got to happen for for us to turn the first final in fifty five years into the into the first trophy. Just to expand it a little bit briefly, Robert McIntosh, who we heard from in the first episode, asks um, off the back of this tournament and the Copper America, who would you have as favourites for Qatar? So if we're not looking ten, fifteen years ahead, and we're just saying, you know. 16 months or something ahead then who currently would be who would you price as favorites for for the next tournament wow that's an actuarial one that we should be referring to our sponsors bet 365 in terms of pricing for favorites um what have we learned i i from what i was able to watch in the cup america which was limited given the, the the demands of the euro and i do mean limited I didn't see an Argentina performance which is radically different from, you know, the previous times when they've ended up in either Copa America finals or the World Cup final. Um, they they can be um, organised, they can be tough to score against, they can regularly be 55 or 45 <clears throat> in a game and, and Messi will do something. Messi's had an extraordinary tournament. Who knows, by the time... The teams head to uh, Qatar in November next year. Who, who knows where or how he'll be playing. And he was the best man of that tournament by, you know, such a distance, including Neymar, such a distance. But, I, you know, simply because they've won that, it, it doesn't convince me that they're outstanding favourites. And Brazil also look a very similar side to the one that we've seen in international tournaments recently. There's quite a good number of organised players, probably man for man, they're still the best side 
in in South America. I I have no knowledge of whether it's time for them to. I think he's spelt T I T E, but I think they call him Tiche. I have no idea whether it's time for him to change and whether there's a better progressive coach. But it does it does help guide us to something that's coming up in a minute. And I'll just give you a clue. His initials are P G. But but I. I I didn't see something, Bobby Mack, in, in the in the Copa America that says to me there is an absolutely guaranteed outstanding World Cup favourite coming from that continent. And on the other hand, I think all of us have seen that if you think that um, potentially France can perform in a more uh, unified and happy way than they did, if Flick Flick's senior coaching experience is so brief that to say he's the automatic cure to Germany's ills might be too much and nor do Germany automatically have an outstanding 11 that is so far better than everybody else to say they're, they're automatic favourites but I think we can imagine there's a good case that France and Germany are better by November next year plus we've all been glowing with admiration for England and Spain and Italy and, and Belgium just a, a combination were a little bit knackered and two of their best players got kicked off the park. So um, you know, I unless you know unless Robert you 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 know you you were hijacking a, a goal scoring league winning player for Aberdeen and wouldn't release him until I gave you a, a single name for the World Cup in Qatar, then I, I'm not go, going to do that, baby. So Pete, how do you see it? I mean, Belgium went into this tournament ranked number one in the world, but I just can't see that they would go into a World Cup next winter as the favourites in many people's eyes. No, I don't. I don't see. I don't see that at all. Um, I think Spain played the best football of the Euros um, across a couple of games, and it'll be interesting to see what he does with the with the players who he can bring back. I mentioned, we mentioned Ramos in the in the first program. Um, does he reincorporate him? I mean, let's not forget that Ramos is, is, I don't know, is he the best defender Spain have ever had? Is that fair to say? Um, um, but but how does it change things in terms of the, the group dynamic, if you like, bringing him back into the side? Carvajal will definitely come back in if, if, if he gets back to, to fitness, as, as hopefully he will. Um, and then Ansu Fati, the, the, you know, the, the, the $200 million question, um, because before he got injured, um, he looked like he was going to be the next big thing. Before we discovered Pedri, um, so if um, if Ansu's back um, to the player he was before his injury, um, and if Luis Enrique can um, cleverly use the the resources in terms of the older players that he has, without disrupting the dynamic of this new. Um, no one's bigger than anyone else squad and that might be impossible to do then I think Spain are legitimate favourites the thing about England is um, it's a tournament in the middle of a season and, and that massively benefits England England's um, uh, we don't have the stats but in, in England games that are played in the middle of a Premier League season uh, there's far greater chance that England will win those games comfortably than the games played at the end of a season and um, and you, we can't. England can't use the excuse anymore that oh, we don't win anything because our players are knackered because of the Premier League. Because every country in the world's got players playing in the Premier League. But I still think it's a massive advantage, and I think England, England, England's players will be on a physical peak mid-season, which will only increase their chances of 
uh, of getting something positive out of the, out of the Qatar World Cup. Um, and um, in Arsene Wenger um, Infantino style, yeah, I wish it was next week. Okay, then let's finish this show and this run through the, the Euros with um, another look at England. This is from Gareth Scriven. And we're going to wrap in something from our sponsors at Bet365. Gareth asks, as for England, I do think that this was their best chance to win a tournament. A lot went in their favour. Home fixtures, little travel, a dubious penalty decision. Am I way off the mark? And Bet365, our sponsors, say which England players can force their way into the England team for the World Cup. First of all, Gareth, I think Pete has given probably the answer of these two shows that properly managed and with the right level of fitness and availability from the correct players and, and a, a tournament where they won't be travelling they'll probably be travelling less in Qatar you know, Qatar is just a big city and they're going to be living in camps and crisscrossing what is a, a brutally uh, traffic uh, laden state via motorcades so they'll travel less in Qatar than they did between St George's Park in Burton and down to Wembley and across London from, you know, near Spurs Lodge. The idea about playing in, in, in mid-winter as well, again, is something that Sven Joran Eriksson, a guest in the series, pointed out first or made public first that when you test the players who've been playing in the Premier League, which obviously just isn't, English, isn't just English players, by the end of the season, everything is down. All the counts are down, whether you want it to, to be about recuperation or muscle fatigue or vitamins, iron, he went on about, all this kind of stuff. So if you're talking about good chances, Gareth, a really daring FA would be now viewing the situation and say, over the, you know, the, 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 the plan was launched by the FA and uh, Greg, what's his name? I don't know how many years ago. 10, 15, 20 years ago, I can't remember. And they said, here's where we want to be. And I remember the, the way they were mocked. They were savaged. What's the point in planning for all that time away? And what we want is something now. And this is just more f- like plans are a bad thing. Like strategy is a bad thing. Muppets, I thought Muppets at the time, Muppets now. Because largely that plan is, is bearing fruit at all levels. And I think there's room now for a similar idea, which is, you know... Whether Southgate is knighted or not, I could give a hoot. But his, the regard for him in terms of what he's done in man management, in, in culture changing, in uh, in episode one of this Q&A, I tried to talk about a, a, a debaggaging. He's, I think that his on-pitch work is six-ish out of ten. But in terms of what he'll be remembered for, and what needs lauding and huge, huge admiration right now, which I'll be unstinting in, is the, the way in which he's understood the problems that, 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 that tied England's boots in knots and helped them trip each other up on pitch, off pitch, before tournaments, in tournaments. He's not only understood all that, but he's, 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 he's cured it. He's vaccinated them, or this generation and the coming generations, against having to be burdened down with unneeded crap. That's going to be his great legacy. But in terms of, and I am not saying here, uh, Gareth, Pete, Neil, that he can't win a tournament. That is not quite my contention. But were I the FA, I'd be saying, look, Gareth's contract runs till this. Pep Guardiola, your contract runs until this. We want you to be the next England manager. 
They've approached him once, years ago it came to nothing. I think that there's a degree on the pitch where we're seeing Gareth Southgate is not the block that's prevented England winning. But I do think that he's very cleverly, in football coaching terms, not group management terms, not culture changing terms, he's surfing a wave of extraordinary talent. I think it's easy for people to, to, to deny that because three of the great ones have missed a penalty and therefore they're in the eye of the hurricane right now, or not even the eye of the hurricane, they're in the hurricane right now. But Rashford's record and, and, and playing style, extraordinary. Sancho is patently, no matter how much um, refinement he's going to need. And Sacco, you can see this season already, he's been one of the players that rescued what could have been an absolutely moribund Arsenal season by playing at either wing-back position, both wings, and, and carrying the team with man-of-the-match performances. He did the same for England. Uh, he hit, never mind the penalty, he had a poor game. He just wasn't right in the final when he came on. But across the, the, those who didn't go, across those who were there, across those who are budding and coming through, there is a tidal wave, a tidal wave of know-how and ability and athleticism and attitude and winning. And, and they're playing for clubs who are winning in Europe too or competing all the way up in Europe. Things are changing. And you can either choose to say... For the brilliance of his work all around the team, Southgate must continue. Or you can say, just like Gareth Southgate didn't say on Sunday, we're going to change the form, we're going to change the eleven. It's time. And Gareth, you're, you're director of football. You're overseeing that, that, those, that rust of all that crap that used to screw England up never comes back again. You're in charge of making sure that the entire terrain surrounding the coaching duties which have been given to Pep Guardiola, that the entire terrain is, is nurtured and beautiful and it's not scorched. And Pep, win the tournament. And I think that's, I think that, you know, historians looking back on that splitting of the atom moment when England have won, you know, three out of six international tournaments with that terrain, with those players, with the Premier League academies, with Southgate in a role at the FA that, that, that gets the best out of him, where he's often speaking for the FA, speaking for the team. Guardiola having to do less media commitments than, than Southgate would, would be doing. And Guardiola coaching the team. That's the splitting of the atom moment. And if they don't see it and they don't seize it, then it's an Italian term. Bollocks to them. Just getting back to Gareth's question about this being having been the best chance because it was played on home soil. Where do we get this idea from that it's it's a it's a one hundred percent advantage to be playing at home? I really just don't just don't accept it. Um, it was hilarious here once once Spain had, had gone out the the media focus turned almost entirely on them. Um, oh, it's not fair! England have played all their games at home and now they're playing the semi and the final at home and there's going to be more English people in the stadium for the final. Um, it didn't help Spain. It didn't help Spain against Sweden. It didn't help Spain against Poland. They played their all their group games at home. They had the 1982 World Cup on home soil. And um, if my memory doesn't fail me, they only won one match. They drew with Honduras. They lost to Northern Ireland. You know, England in 96 didn't go all the way, didn't reach the final, despite the fantastic atmosphere that surrounded the squad. So it's not always because there's, because of the pressure. It's not always a huge advantage. And, and I think Graham paints a nice picture there of how, how comfortable it will be for the players. It won't maybe be great for the fans, but the Qatar World Cup, I think, will be a very comfortable experience for the players. 
Um, so no, absolutely not. This is not the best chance has not passed them by, and I think. This time, more than about new players coming in, it's about players that have had this experience and are going to build on it and be and be more rounded, uh, be more complete players in two years' time. And the, the three that I mentioned earlier, Grealish, Foden and Mount, we expected so much from them this time. Um, and we saw bits of magic from from um, Grealish when he came on against Germany, and there were good there was good stuff from from uh, Mount, and I think Foden wasn't wasn't certainly at the end of the tournament wasn't properly fit, or he would have played a part and an important part in the final. But those three will be stronger. Jude Bellingham is a sensational player, um, and he's going to be he's going to be um, more important, I think, in in eighteen months' time than he was in this tournament. But something that Johnny Norcroft said to Graham in one of the first programmes that you did, I think it was before the tournament had even started, that England now produce a different sort of player and they're not producing the old player anymore, the old type of player. Um, and, you know, who will be the centre-forward um, in Qatar? It will obviously be Kane. But what if Kane is now becoming, I mean, becoming morphing into this number 10, so much so that he shouldn't actually be the 10 and we could do with having another number 9? Is Rashford not going to be that nine that we thought maybe he was going to be when he first emerged? Um, so is, is there a nine to come through from somewhere? And actually, Spain have exactly the same question to ask themselves because it's the one thing they're missing as well. I find that the most thrilling thing that, that, that's come out in these two shows. I've never heard, even though I was blathering on until the cows came home about how good a 10 Kane is, that my, my tired, old, feeble brain never made the jump to saying, well... Play him there in a 4-2-3-1. Play him as your 10, interchangeable with the 9. So you're consistently asking questions. We all three of us seem to agree that as a 10, his distribution and, and that way in which he can spread it wide and do the traditional thing and then turn around or flicked balls through that he, he can put onto the feet of runners like Mount or Sterling or, or Ford and or incluso Grealish. I have to say to you, like in all the broadcasting of this summer, everything I've consumed or everything I've participated in. That's one of the most exciting ideas I've heard. I have to say, I, I salute the ingenuity. And, it, and, it, and it, it, it increases competition for places in that three behind the one, which is good for, I think, Sterling and, and Mount and, and Ford and, and Grealish and, and Madison, if he's to, Madison is a dandy. Um, it, it, asking them, say, OK, unseat Harry Kane. And, and, it, and it says to Calvert-Lewin or Ollie or whoever you want to say, you're the nine, but you've got to be able to link. You've got to be able to look how uh, Sun Young-Moon plays with, with Kane at Spurs, that interchangeability. It's hugely exciting idea. Hugely exciting. So with Pete Jensen having solved England's future, we can happily end <laughs> yeah. our summer's programming um, from everybody at Backpage in the Big Interview. Thank you so much if you've been listening to these shows throughout the summer. Yeah, I want I want to I want to add that you you both um, pre- previously accurately pointed out that I'm not very good when people say kindly things. It it just doesn't sit particularly well with me. I don't know how to handle it. But the idea that we can do this that we're doing today and that we can broadcast from a tournament and and that people can say that's a different take on it. It's not deliberately extravagant. It's not meant to catch attention, but. Uh, all of us, when we when we do this work, we 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 research or we watch or we're present or we. Pete being able to quote, um, Xabi Alonso once told me, things like that. I think when you you're not listening to coaches and directors of football and 
and players in, in press conference situations or puff piece situations, when you're allowed to talk to them and interview them and, and draw out the bone marrow and then use it to, to, to try in this, this, this debate forum where our socios often will have keener eyes than us. They'll have seen something different. They'll have experienced something different. They'll, they come from various different nations and therefore their take on things. If we're able to feed back in a, a, a pungent or interesting point of view and commentary or frontline reporting um, and, it, and, it, and it connects with you, to hear people saying, oh, that's what I think or that's an interesting take or I've been listening and it helped, that's, that's an, a literally astonishing feeling. Thank you. We're going to take um, a short break from programming now. Graham Hunter um, has more than earned it. He's been working his tail off across that tournament. So we're going to be back with some new big interviews and our monthly Q&A shows when the new season starts. Until then, for the last time, thank you so much for being part of our shows over the summer. Have a great summer and we'll see you on the other side of it. Adios, muchachos. (laughs) 